If you have your Bibles tonight, open up to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6, we get excited about the Word. We've been doing a sermon series in here titled The 7%, and it's about reaching the 47,000 college students that exist in the Memphis area. And to do that, we've been studying Nehemiah. We've been walking through the life of Nehemiah, studying how he, if you'll remember, I want to give you a little bit of a recap here, how he left a great opportunity in Susa, Persia, where he was right hand to the king, the cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes. He left a great career opportunity to go and chase God's call. Let me tell you something. If you have to choose between a great career opportunity and God's call, choose God's call. Amen. It's hard, but God's going to be faithful to you in the end. And Nehemiah leaves a comfortable position he's in. He goes to Jerusalem, a city that has no walls, where God is not being glorified. They're mocking him. They're mocking the Jews. They're saying, where's your God now? How are you going to help him now? He gets there after praying for four months. Remember, Nehemiah took his time. He prayed. He said, Lord, what do you really want me to do about this? Am I supposed to go? Should I send somebody? What am I supposed to do with this burden you put on my heart? And God gives him that direct call. It's time to go. And he sends him to Jerusalem. Now, we saw how last week Dakota talked about overcoming discouragement in our lives when Nehemiah faced opposition. And I want to tell you, Nehemiah tonight in chapter 6 is going to face even more opposition, even more persecution. And I want to go ahead and give you my title. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. The title of my sermon tonight is Don't Compromise Conviction. Mm. Don't Compromise Conviction. Now, with a sermon like this, amongst hundreds of college students, I know that this is a heavy topic, and I know from experience and from Scripture that Satan would love to attack you tonight with discouragement. Don't let him. I know that Satan would love to attack you with distractions tonight. Don't let him. Because I believe that this word has been so timely for me over the last week. And I believe that this word from Nehemiah 6, who God has lined this up. He's lined up the schedule for this. I believe that this word tonight from Nehemiah 6 is important for every person in this room. I got married in November of 2018. It's been almost three years that I've been married. Being married is one of the greatest joys of my life. My wife's name is Hannah. She's a teacher. Can we make some noise for her tonight? Amen? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. She's a teacher at the Bartlett Ninth Grade Academy. She teaches public school freshmen. (laughs) Public school freshmen in high school. It has its challenges. (laughs) It has many challenges. In fact, I don't know if y'all know about the trend that's going on where they're stealing stuff from the school. Y'all seen that? (laughs) Man, these little jokers are wild. They're stealing sinks. (laughs) They're taking sinks. I'm telling you, Trey, I'm not lying. They're taking sinks and like just to show it on TikTok. I'm like, these jokers are wilder than we were. I mean, I jump up and touch the clock. (laughs) I felt like a rebel, you know? (laughs) I talk in class a little bit. I felt like a rebel. They're stealing sinks. Soap dispensers? What you gonna do with that, man? (laughs) Ain't got nobody coming to the house gonna need some soap dispensers. You gonna put them outside your room, you know? And she's dealing with a lot of stuff at the freshman academy. It's, It's crazy. But when we got married, In November of 2018, we said our vows, and we had a wedding ceremony. It was here at Bellevue, and uh, we got married. And at that ceremony, me and my wife, we stood eyeball to eyeball with a pastor who was the former college pastor two pastors ago, and he married us. And as we said our vows, I want you to understand something very clearly. He watched, as did all the other witnesses in the room, us commit our lives to each other. Marriage is such a beautiful picture of the love of Christ, is it not? A beautiful picture. And we committed our lives to each other in this moment. In this moment that we said our vows to each other, I want you to understand something very clearly. We were saying our yes to each other for the rest of our lives. I looked at my wife. I said, my future wife, I said, this is someone who I love. This is someone who makes me more like Jesus. I need to stay with her for life. Amen? (laughs) 
That's what you want, somebody that will make you more like Jesus. Not somebody that makes you less like Jesus. That's wrong. That's a mistake. Oof, that's tense in here. Eesh. And I said my yes to Hannah. But I want you to understand something very clearly. At that moment that we committed to each other, not only was I saying my yes to Hannah, I was also giving my no to every other girl in the entire world for the rest of my life. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. <laughs> Sorry about it. Off the market. Can't help you. My yes is to one woman. My nose off the table. <laughs> right? My, my yes is off the table. It's nose to everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help you out. I can't do it. It's a no to everybody. Because that's real commitment. When I gave my commitment to Hannah, not only am I saying yes to her, but I'm saying no to every other woman in the world. That's marriage. That's commitment. And I want you to understand something. The reason why people have such a hard time living for God, if I can be real with you tonight, they want to give God their yes while also giving their yes to the rest of the world, too. <laughs> See, we got a lot of people in our culture that want to give God a yes, but are not willing to give their no to every other false idol in this world. We won't say no. I want salvation. I want to get into heaven. I want to come to the view. I want to be part of the Christian group. I want all those things, but you know what? I want the world, too. That's not a real commitment. See, if I commit my life to Hannah, and then I'm out there like, and you know what? All these other girls look good, too. I guess I'll talk to them. What kind of commitment is that? It's not a commitment. It's not a marriage. And I'll tell you what, for us as believers, when we choose to say yes to God, but we also go around saying yes to every sin, every pleasure we have, every thought that's wrong, and we say yes to the world, but we're not willing to say no, that's not a commitment. That's a facade. And I want more for you. I want you to truly have your yes to God, but in order to have your yes to God, that means no to the world. Are you willing to say no? Because that's quite simply what don't compromise conviction means. It means saying no. And tonight as we look at Nehemiah chapter 6, we're going to see Nehemiah say no to the world. We're going to see him say no to people who do not have his godly interest at heart. Now I got a newsflash for you. Not everybody has your best interest at heart. Not everybody in this world is trying to make you more like Jesus. In fact, some of them want to make you more like them. So tonight we're going to talk about how to say no. How do you tell this sinful world? How do you tell your flesh no. Let's talk about it. The sermon in a sentence tonight, if I could give it to you in one word, one sentence is this. The world will tempt you, test you, and beg you to stop doing God's will. Let your answer to them always be no. You'll be tempted, you'll be tested, you'll practically be begged to stop doing God's will. Let your answer be no. Because the reason why we have such a hard time saying no to the world because we don't want to be left out. Doesn't it hurt being left out from the world? Doesn't it hurt not being able to talk the way some of your lost friends talk when they curse and they say all these different things and they make these jokes that are terrible? Doesn't it hurt when you choose Jesus and you choose to give up your sinful flesh to choose to really follow him and his call? A lot of times we just don't want to be disliked by people. I talk to so many college students who want to say yes to God, but they can't tell people no because they fear being disliked. I love Jesus' words in John chapter 15. Jesus says very clearly, he doesn't pull any punches. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. <laughs> don't you take comfort in that? Because I know, man, if we are doing God's will, there are going to be those who don't like us. I've had plenty of people over the last five and a half years not like me for doing God's will. I take comfort in the fact that my Savior was hated. And if I'm hated by the world too, that's okay if I'm doing God's will. So are you willing to even be hated by the world. Can you imagine? Not that we would seek out to be hated. We want to love people and encourage them. 
But that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus was doing miracles. Jesus was healing people, loving people. Jesus did no wrong, and they hated him. Sometimes you can do everything right, and people are still going to hate you because you got the name of Jesus attached to you. Is it worth it? It's always worth it. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 6. Let's walk through this, and let's see how Nehemiah says no. Starting in verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. When Sanballat, Tobiah... Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it. Don't you love that? Nehemiah, Nehemiah, I need to get one of those things where I can underline like right here, you know, get like a, what's that, a laser pointer? (laughs) Just get a laser pointer. And rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it. I love that when Nehemiah sets out to do God's work, he doesn't cut corners. (laughs) He doesn't leave gaps. He rebuilds the wall and left no gap in it. I mean, you can pick this apart verse by verse. You should study this more on your own this week because there's stuff I can't cover. And then he says, though at that time I had not installed the doors in the city gates, Samballot sent me a message. He said, come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. They were planning to harm me. I want to ask you a real question. We're all adults in here. We've been living on this earth long enough to know. Have you ever had somebody come to you Acting like they got your best interest at heart when really they don't. Have you been there? For real, I'm asking. Have you been there? If not, praise God. You got incredible people around you. But I've had people try to take advantage of me. I've had people not like me because of the name of Jesus, and I've had to accept that. People will try to deceive you out of obeying Jesus. It's real. We got to talk about it. That's why I love walking through books because we got to talk about it. Not everybody has your godly interest at heart. If you are not surrounded by people who do have your godly interests at heart, it's going to be hard to walk in a godly way. Real hard. Look at what else it says. Nehemiah says, so I sent messengers to them. And I love this. If you write in your notes, I would encourage you to underline this. Saying, I am doing important work and cannot come down. I am doing important work and cannot come down. Nehemiah views God's work as something worth fighting for. He says, why should I leave the work? Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? In other words, why should I waste my time with you instead of doing God's will? He says, I can't do it. Nehemiah says, I can't. I'm sorry. I know you don't want me doing God's work, but it's what I've been called to do. I got to do it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And then I love what happens next. In verse 4, it says, four times they sent me the same proposal, and I gave them the same reply. Don't you love that, Kate? Them jokers sent the same thing four times. <laughs> four times. I'll tell you this about the enemy. The enemy is a loser, but the enemy is also persistent. The enemy will not quit trying to take you down. Four times. Nehemiah says No. And look at this, Sanballat, verse 5, sent me the same message a fifth time by his aide who had an open letter. Underline that if you mark in your Bible. Open letter. We're going to come back to that in a minute. In his hand, it was written, it was reported among the nations, <coughs> excuse me, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are rebuilding the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king and even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf there is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king, so come, let us confer together. They're lying. They're lying. In verse 8, then I replied to them, there is nothing to these rumors. 
You are spreading, you are inventing them in your own mind. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. I love this last statement. It's something that we should pray every single day. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. Father, right now we commit this message to you. Lord, we pray that you would have every word to say. God, I know that there's many in here who are struggling with temptation. God, I know there's many in here really trying to live for Jesus, but it's hard in this world that often rejects you. God, strengthen us tonight. God, I pray for the person here who doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would come to know you as their Savior, that they would repent, that they would believe, that they would see you and accept you and proclaim you as their Lord and Savior. And then, Father, I pray for all of us in here as we try to live counterculturally to this world, that you, as Nehemiah prayed, will strengthen our hands. If that's your prayer tonight, just pray, strengthen my hands, Lord God. Strengthen us, Lord. Give us strength and help us. Father, we need you. Lord, we love you. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. I got two things for you tonight. Number one, if you're taking notes, I really hope that you are. Number one, when you do God's will, you will be tempted and tested. When we look at Nehemiah, when we understand a Christian life, we have to understand we will be tempted and we will be tested. When you do God's will, you will be tempted and tested. And this sermon's going to end on a high note. Don't worry, we're going to end with an encouragement tonight. We see Nehemiah both tempted and tested in this text. We see Nehemiah tempted to stop doing the work God has called him to do. And I love it because what they essentially come with him their first attack is a distraction. Understand this, college students, especially millennials and Gen Z, that 2,000 years ago, 2,000 plus years ago, more than the life of Jesus, longer than the life of Jesus on this earth, Nehemiah was tempted to stop doing God's work because of a distraction. All they tried to do, essentially, first off, Caleb, was to distract Nehemiah from the work he was doing and get him to stop doing God's work, to come down and simply waste his time. I don't know about you, but I find myself wasting my time often. You ever been there? Man, don't lie to me. Do not lie to me, because I've seen some of y'all's Instagram. I see what you do on your time. I know. Wasting time is prevalent. And honestly, it's one of the biggest hindrances to Christians living out their faith is that we get so easily distracted. I don't know about you, but sometimes I open up my word in the morning and I try to read every single day and I try to read from God and I want him to speak to me. And what I do is I open up my Bible and I place this right next to it. And then somehow I never hear from God clearly when that happens because over and over I continue to check this boom, 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 over and over. You ever been there? It's so hard for us as college students to hear from God because our phone is constantly Bugging, and we will not put it away. We are so afraid to step away from this world to hear from God. It really makes me question if we really want to hear from God. Often it seems we want to hear more from the world than we do from God. And that's the problem. They come to Nehemiah. They try to distract him. They try to get him to stop doing the work that he's doing. And then he's tested because they lie about him. They spread false rumors about him. They try to intimidate him. But ultimately, we have to understand what the difference is between a temptation and a test. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. A temptation at its core is this. It's an enticement to act in disobedience to God's will. What a temptation at its core is, to really define it, it's this right here. 
It's when you are enticed to act in disobedience to God's will. It's nothing more than that. It's you going against what God has said. Here's what you got to understand. The world tempts you. Your flesh tempts you. Even other people will tempt you. But God never tempts you. He never does. In fact, Matthew quoted it. James chapter 1, verses 13 says, No one undergoing a trial should say that I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. I hear college students often say, I know that my temptation is from God and that he strengthened me through this. No, 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 no. Tests. God will allow and send tests to you, but God is not tempting you. God never sets you up to go and fail. Never. So you talk about a test. Here it is. This will be on the screen as well. A test is a situation that God sends or allows in order to show your character and commitment to him. And also to strengthen your faith. Maybe we don't have that on the screen. A test is a situation that God sends or allows in order to show your character and to strengthen your faith. In fact, James 1, verse 3, Matthew quoted this one. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. God will send and allow you to go through trials and tests. But he is not sending you temptation. But you better believe that the world is sending you temptation, and it looks so enticing, does it not? Temptation looks so enticing, and it's so hard to say no. What's crazy here is that since the wall is almost done, Nehemiah's been doing this work on the wall. Since the wall is almost done, they realize that they cannot overpower Nehemiah. They cannot come at Nehemiah with force. So what's amazing is when you study the book of Nehemiah, you realize that they change their tactic on Nehemiah. What's so crazy is at first they try to overpower him, but now what they switch to is they switch to manipulation. They switch to trickery. They try to trick Nehemiah into stopping God's work. They do it with an open letter. They do it with these rumors to him. And I want you to understand something. When the enemy cannot discourage you, he will always attempt to deceive you. Always. If the enemy cannot discourage you, once you get firm in God's word, once you have your identity set, once you know who he is and you're walking in prayer, you better believe he is going to try to deceive you. He's going to come at you with everything that he has, trying to get you to fall. But Nehemiah does not bait for it. Nehemiah knows that not everybody has his best interest at heart. And ultimately, they get him trying to compromise. They want him to stop doing God's work. Like, is God's work, Zach, worth enough for you to not compromise and to let it go? They come at him and they say, come down here, come with us, come on. And really their plan is to harm him. They want him to stop doing God's work. They want him to compromise on God's call. Ultimately, they look at Nehemiah and they say, just, just a little bit, Kaylee, just a little bit. Just compromise a little bit. Just stop and come down for a few. God's work is not that important. You can take a break from it. Come on down here with the plan to harm him. And they try to deceive him. And they try to trick him. And they try to trap him. And that's exactly how the enemy is coming after you is compromise. I want to ask you, what do you say to your college professors? When they don't believe the same things that you believe. And they are tempting and wanting you to compromise God's word. What do you say? How do you handle that? What do you do when this world wants you to compromise God's standard? Because every single person you are around that is not walking with Jesus, you better believe they're going to come at you with a temptation to compromise. Will you do it? Will you stand with God or will you choose to walk away and to follow the world? Because a lot of us want to please the culture more than we want to please God. And that's a dangerous place to be. I want to tell you tonight, do not compromise God's word. Do not. 
in any area of your life, it's not worth it. It's a deceit. And every single time you give in to sin, how do you feel afterwards? You feel shameful. You know that you made a mistake. You know you don't want to live that way. Yet still, we continue to run back to it. When it comes to dating, I know none of us are in relationships in here. I know none of us date in college. Yeah. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) When it comes to dating, you have got to understand when it comes to the access that we have to things on our phones, such as sin, you have got to understand. Your flesh will beg you to compromise God's standard. Your flesh sometimes is your biggest enemy. The reason why you can't overcome your temptation without God is because you're part of the problem. You and I are the biggest problem when it comes to our temptation because your flesh, my flesh, wants sin. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. He says, I want to do God's work. I want to stop with my flesh, but it's so hard to fight that battle. And when you have your phone and you can look at anything at any time, when you're in a relationship and you begin to grow closer with that person, your flesh will beg you to compromise God's standard. Are you going to do it or will you hold firm? Will you hold firm? Because the enemy will wreck God's work in your life. He can take down the work that you are doing for him if you allow sin to creep in to your relationships with people, to your relationships when you're dating, to your relationships with people of the world. He'll take you down. He'll take you down. People will come to you and they will tempt you with all kinds of things. When you come over to my house, there's a 90% chance that there are sugar cookies on the table. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the cheap ones from Kroger. I'm not talking about nothing nice. The cheap little, y'all know what I'm talking about? The holiday ones? Little cream on top, come in a little basket, you gotta pop it open, gotta break the seal. Bro, I'm telling you, man, those things, I got like 10 pounds because of those things. <laughs> those things are dangerous, man. And like, y'all are bringing them to me. <laughs> I had a box dropped off on like the doorstep the other day. I'm like, man, this is getting out of hand. <laughs> like a junkie, man, this has gotta stop. <laughs> I'm like walking through the store looking at them, like, <laughs> you know, those look good. <laughs> like, I gotta stop, man. This sugar cookie's getting out of hand. I'll tell you what, if you've been over my house, you know exactly what I do when I get that sugar cookie, that box of sugar cookies in my hand. What do I do? I start walking around with that box. I have people at the house. I got the sugar cookies. I eat one. So you know what? I'm going to walk around with these. Let everybody else have some. I start offering them. People tell me no. I don't care. I'm persistent. I keep going. Like, come on. Take you a sugar cookie. I'll make people feel bad. I'll guilt trip them. Like, you don't make me eat this alone? You know, it's 200 calories. I'll scan the whole room. I'll do a double take. I'll come back around a second time if you change your mind. (laughs) That's true. true. (laughs) What's amazing is I know that the sugar cookies are bad for me and I don't need them. It just makes me feel better when other people indulge themselves too so that I'm not alone. If I'm eating all that sugar, at least you eat that sugar too so we're in the same boat, amen? (laughs) Listen, misery loves company. And I'll tell you something else when it comes to following God. Disobedience loves company too. When people are living in sin, they will come around and offer it to you like a box of sugar cookies. Come on, take one. You say no, they'll come back around just as persistent as I am. You sure? Because when I'm eating all that sugar, I love to know that other people are eating it too. And let me tell you something. Some of the people in your life, when they're living in sin, would feel so much better if you give in to sin too. It's real. It is what it is, Sean. Not everybody wants you to walk with Christ. And what you have to do is walk with Christ so that you have discernment. As to who your closest people can be, because if they're not pushing you to Christ, they should not be your closest people. Jesus ate with sinners. He went and did ministry to sinners, but he didn't rest his soul with sinners because he knew the ways that it would affect him. Paul, the same way. 
We go out to the world to minister to the world, but if we're resting our soul with those who don't rest their soul in Jesus, you're not going to be resting your soul with Jesus for long. For long. So when the world comes by with sugar cookies, just know. When the world comes by offering you sin, just know that sin will rot you from the inside out. And it's not worth it. And your best response is no. In fact, that's your only response. Say no to this world. I don't care what it is. If it's sexual temptation, it's time to say no to your flesh. It's time to say no. See, a lot of us, we compromise over anything except Jesus. When it comes to our schoolwork, I can't tell you how many students I've met. And I ask them, hey, you coming to church on Sunday? You coming to the view on Monday? They say, can't, man, I got to study. I got schoolwork. Okay. I can't tell you how many students I've met when it comes to their career. And I'm like, hey, man. You've been reading your Bible? No, nah, man, I've just been so busy trying to build my career up, man. I've been networking, and I've got to be up early to go build these relationships if I'm going to go into this or go into that. I can't tell you how many college students I've talked to who are in relationships that find a way to make time to be with their boyfriend or girlfriend. It's amazing. You will find the, the smallest hour of your day to go be with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You won't compromise on that. I won't compromise on that. We're going to find a way. But when it comes to God's word and it comes to prayer, that's the biggest thing we compromise on, like that. If we can cut anything out, let's cut out prayer. Let's cut out Bible reading. I didn't wake up in time today to get in the Word, but it's all right. I got everything else laid out for me. If you really, if you and I are so proud to think that we can go through our day without prayer and Bible reading, we don't realize how sinful we really are. And we also don't realize how good he really is. We will not compromise on things we're passionate about. The reason we compromise on God's Word is because we're not passionate about it. And that's just real. Nehemiah's passionate about God's Word, man. He says, I'm doing important work. I can't come down. This matters to me. Following God's will matters to me. So he says, I can't compromise. The day God's word is a priority to you is the day you'll stop compromising on it. The day I realize prayer changes everything is the day I'll make prayer the biggest priority in my life. It's the entree. It's not a side item to the day. That's the biggest hang up I see with college students. We want to be so connected to politics. We want to be so connected to social media. We want to be the biggest influencer that we can be. We want to build our platform. Could care less about building God's kingdom. Do you know your great-great-grandparents' names? Thank you. (laughs) I don't know mine. I don't know my great-grandparents' names. So you realize most of us in here, let's say 95% don't know our great-great-grandparents' names, maybe even our great-grandparents' names. So you realize that there's a high chance your great-grandchildren may not even know your name? And yet you're working so hard to make sure everybody else does. It doesn't matter if your great-grandchildren know your name, but you better make sure they know the name of Jesus Christ. We value everything in this culture except what is most important to our souls, which is walking with God. I've, I've seen myself do it. I'm on the same level as you. I find myself making time for every single time waster I can. TV shows, video games, hanging out with friends, hanging out with college students. I'll make time for all those things. But I don't make time to get in God's word. I don't make time to get in prayer the way I know I'm supposed to. Until it becomes important enough, we won't. So for you in your life, what do you have to cut so that God can be the ultimate priority in your life? Because some of you in here have something to say no to, and it's not God. <laughs> it's not the Lord. To say yes to God, you're going to have to say no to this world. 
You're going to have to say no to what's popular. You're going to have to say no to your flesh. You're going to have to say no to sin. But I promise you, saying yes to God, obeying him, is the greatest thing you could ever do because he will be so faithful to you. He will answer your prayers. You will see people radically healed. You will see people's lives change because you said yes to God. He will never fail you. Your career may fail one day. You really want to put your faith in that? Some of us work so hard to be the biggest hot shot we can while we're in college. You know, you ain't going to be in college forever. I guess you could if you want to be. 20 years strong. Everybody's like, there's that older guy on campus. (laughs) Everything that is not of the Lord's kingdom is not going to last. What do you want to live your life for? His kingdom or you want to build your own? Nehemiah is tempted to stop doing God's work. He says, this work I'm doing is important. I will not stop. So what is it that you got to say no to? Because I don't know. You do. Who is it in your life is trying to get you to stop living a Christ-like life that you need to say no to? Because you know it ain't getting you anywhere worth anything. The further you drift from the Lord, the more your soul's going to hurt. It's not worth it. I know that you're faced with so many temptations. I know that you have so many. No temptation is uncommon to man. You are not alone in your temptation. Understand this. You are not the only one facing that temptation. More than likely, everybody in this room is facing the same temptations. (laughs) And if you are a believer, you have the spirit of God living inside of you to say no. You have the spirit of God in you that gives you the strength and the power to hold to the convictions of God's word and to tell this world no. The question is, are you willing to do it? I believe in this room you are. I believe you will. I love this quote from Tozier. It says, when we are sent to bless the world, but we are never told to compromise with it, true obedience is the refusal to compromise in any regard to our relationship with God, regardless of consequences. And man, I'll tell you what, I'm so thankful Jesus didn't compromise on us, aren't you? I'm so glad Jesus didn't get to the cross and then was like, actually, you know what? All that stuff the devil was talking about in Luke 4, I think I'm going to have the world instead. I don't want this death on a cross. I'm glad Jesus didn't compromise on me. I'm glad that Jesus humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you and I can have eternal life. Isn't that amazing? That you have the gift of eternal life because Jesus did not compromise on you. Man, when I first gave my life to Jesus at 21, it was a wild, radical conversion. I saw somebody at a wedding that knew me when I was in sixth grade, and it shocked that I'm a pastor. I was kind of taken back by it. I was like, yeah, man, I'm a pastor. He was like, you know, <laughs> like, they're like, do they know you? I was like, look, man, my life didn't change. Oh, he's messing with me. He's playing around. Was, but seriously, though, he saw me when I was lost. And listen, at 21 years old, Alan, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, people would try to talk me out of going to campus ministry. I've never seen anything like it in my life. We were at University of Memphis today sharing Jesus with people at U of M, and I would go, and some of you all were with us. I would go, I'd sit down with my friends in class, and be like, man, I'm, I'm going to go over with the view and, and share the gospel in the UC, man, tell people about Jesus, what y'all think. They were trying to talk me out of it. You would have thought I just told them that I'm going to go lay in front of a train and get hit. <laughs> I'm like, man, why in the world would you do that? How long does that take? You got to do what? You got to tell people about Jesus? And they were trying to talk me out of it. And they're like, man, there's so many things we could do. Let's go over and play at the gym, man. We only got an hour before class. Let's go play ball at the gym. I was like, man, I can't because my ministry is going to share Jesus and I need to be there because I'm supposed to share Jesus too. And if they are creating this space, John, 
to go and share Jesus with them? Why in the world would I want to try to do it alone if I have a team going with me to do it at the same time? Now, you'll have people try to talk you out of reading God's word to go do whatever. You will have people come to you with a PowerPoint presentation as to why you should not live for Christ. It's incredible. And they'll try to get you to do anything except living for Jesus. But you're missing out on the greatest life, which is walking with Jesus Christ. I love this. I'll put this on the screen. The opposition, Nehemiah faced. You can write this down. Number one, they try to deceive and trap him. When you look at this text, you see that they come at him with deceit, which we know the devil is the father of lies. We know the enemy is at work in this. And that the enemy is trying to deceive and trap Nehemiah. And if the devil can get you trapped, he would love to. But not only that, number two, or B on this, number two, yeah, they gossip and spread false rumors about Nehemiah. And to be honest, when some people want to take you down, they'll just start lying on your name. Some people, when they're sick of you doing God's will, they will just lie about your name. They lied about Jesus. They lied about Nehemiah. In fact, the open letter here, a letter was made private when it was rolled up and sealed. And at this time, the fact that it's an open letter and not sealed, it tells you that in the text so that you understand. If it was sealed, that's a private letter. But because it's unsealed, when that letter went around, anybody could open up and read what they had written about Nehemiah. It's just like how we have access to Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram, and anybody can say anything about you at any time, and hundreds can hear it. This letter's going around, they're reading this false rumors about Nehemiah. If they can lie about Nehemiah, maybe they can take him down. But Nehemiah's like, ah, 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 it's not going to work. You can try to lie about me, but I'm walking with the king. They spread false rumors about him. And then number three, I love this, they try to intimidate him. Woo, and I'll tell you this, man, this ain't in my notes, but man, let me tell you something. When I got on fire for Jesus, there were people in the college ministry that did not like my fire for Jesus and tried to intimidate me from living for him. Sometimes your greatest opposition may not even be from this world. It might be from believers, and I hate that. But a lot of the opposition that I faced when I wanted to live on fire for Jesus came from other believers. I was shook. I was like, man, you're claiming to love Jesus too. Why are you coming after me so hard? Why are you not excited about what God has done in my life and in your life, and why would you not want to go tell others about it? I started discipling guys two years younger than me. Some the same age have been doing this a whole lot longer than I have. Went through the middle school ministry, the high school ministry. Praise God for those. I didn't go through either one of them. I started discipling them, teaching them the word. And other people my age are like, man, why are you discipling others? Why are you teaching them the word? You just got saved eight months ago. I told them, man, because this is what God told me to do. <laughs> Jesus said, go and make disciples. It's real clear, Sean. I don't have to figure out. I don't have to go to seminary to figure that out that we're called to invest in other people, teach them God's word, teach them how to live for Christ. I realized at 21, man, that's what I'm supposed to be doing in this city, so I'm gonna go and do it, and I don't care what anybody thinks about it because I have God's stamp of approval. They try to intimidate them, and sometimes this world will try to intimidate you too. But let me tell you, there ain't nothing in this world scarier than God Almighty. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. God's not intimidated by our big cities. He's not intimidated by the lost world. And God has not given you a spirit of fear. God has given you a spirit of love and power and self-control. You know what that self-control he's talking about? Saying no to your flesh. You have the power in you to literally walk out of here tonight, go pray, wake up tomorrow morning, and live this week differently than you did last week. God is not looking at what's behind. God is telling you to press forward for what is ahead. What is stopping you from dedicating this week to the Lord? I don't care if you've been a heathen this past week. <laughs> I don't care if you messed up awfully this past weekend. God has laid out tonight and tomorrow for you. What are you going to do with it? 
Aren't you amazed that, that, that the old has passed away? Leo, behold, the new has come. And that's how we live in Christ. They try to take him down, but they can't do it. He says he won't compromise. And when you do that, here's a promise. Number two, you will be strengthened by God. Amen? I love it. I love it. I love that this is not a willpower aspect. This is a rely on the Spirit's power aspect. I show him glad, Jake, that me overcoming temptation is not based on my willpower because I can never do it. I tell you what, I look at those sugar cookies, man. There ain't no ounce of willpower helping me in them sugar cookies. When it comes to your greatest temptation, your smallest temptation, it's not about willpower. It's about the Spirit's power moving in your heart. What Nehemiah does here, I love this. It's so clear, Ellie. What he does is he asks for help. Nehemiah says, strengthen my hands. You know, one of the best prayers that you can pray, Lauren, not just for her, but for all of us. (laughs) God, strengthen my hands. What Nehemiah is saying here, Nehemiah is saying help. Nehemiah realizes that his situation is big to him and he's intimidated. But he asked God for help. When I was a kid, my family would go to Gatlinburg. And uh, I love like the little strip at Gatlinburg where you have all the attractions. You have the, what's that called, ski lift. Takes you up to the top of the mountains, brings you back down. I love the mountains. In my opinion, beach is far better than the mountains. Far better. The beach is way better than the mountains. I mean, it's not even close. I see some people squirming like, all right, I was good up to this point. <laughs> I was good up to this point. And we would go to Gatlinburg, and that little strip, there was this attraction. I think it was uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. You ever been there? Ripley's Believe It or Not. I think it was Ripley's Believe It or Not. And I remember walking up the strip with my parents and uh, seeing all the attractions that there were, you know, and on, I think it was Ripley's Believe It or Not. It may have been a different building. I remember coming across this building, Melody. And uh, this building had a, I loved it because I was a kid, but I was also terrified. It had a giant dinosaur head on it. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. Maybe you have, but it was a T-Rex, right? Huge head, long neck. <laughs> we make fun of people in here for having long necks. Nate, you got a long neck. This T-Rex <laughs> had a long neck. And uh, I'm telling you, it looked real. It looked like Jurassic Park, Keegan. I'm telling you, it looked real. And it would move side to side. It would open his mouth, roar. And I remember walking with my dad, and I was like, you know, probably 18, terrified. And uh, I was just playing. I was probably six or seven. You know, Some of y'all were like, dang, this dude's got issues. <laughs> like 18, walking by, oh, you know, no. And uh, I was probably six or seven. And I be walking with my dad, and I see it, and I get terrified. My heart started beating. You know that feeling. It was like Matthew right before quoting James. His heart beating. <laughs> you know, we were praying together. I gave him a hug and stuff, and I was like, man, I feel mad. Matthew. <laughs> and then the spirit takes over. And I was walking down the street, I was holding my dad's hand, and I would get afraid every single time I see it because this dinosaur head's colossal. My dad would do the same thing, and I know he's, wa- he's watching the live stream tonight. He would do the same thing. He would come over to me, he would put his hands like underneath my armpits, and he would lift me up. You ever do, your parents ever do that? No, he would lift me up, and he would place me on his shoulders. And I would sit on top of his shoulders, and I would walk around on top of his shoulders. I love that, man. I love being on top of my dad's shoulders. And every single time he would do it, every single time he would lift me up and put me on his shoulders, and I looked at the T-Rex again, Morgan. It was amazing because all my fear went away immediately. I'm talking about six, seven years old. All my fear looking at this T-Rex head went away immediately. And I love it because I didn't need my problem to go away 
to overcome my fears. I just need to see it from my dad's perspective. See, a lot of you have fears and trials and worries, and you're just hoping they go away. Hear me, to conquer your fears, you don't need them to go away. You just need to see them from your father's perspective. What's amazing is when you ask God for strength, he picks you up, literally holds you with his righteous right hand, and then you view your trials, your battles, your temptations from his level. And Gianna, when you realize how small your greatest fears are in comparison to God Almighty, your fear will be taken away immediately. But some of us aren't doing that. Let's be real. Some of us are not going to God asking for help. We're trying to worry our temptations away. We're trying to worry our trials away. We're trying to worry our stress away. We're just hoping if we can outlast our problems, then we'll be okay. Man, that's a terrible way to live when you have the creator of the universe on your side. Why in the world would you just try to worry your problems away? Go to God. Ask for help. Let him lift you up and give you his perspective on your issues. That's what truth is. It's God's perspective on anything. That's truth. And you'll be amazed at the fears that you can overcome. But too many of us are trying to lift ourselves up. Zach, we're trying to lift ourselves up over our issues. You can't never do it. You and I are part of the problem. We can't overcome our problems if we're part of the problem. You need a sovereign creator. So for you, I don't know what your application is tonight. I don't know your trial. I don't know your battle. I don't know if your temptation is alcohol. I don't know if it's marijuana. I don't know if it's simply going through the motions. I don't know if it's sexual temptation with your phone and the things that you can see or with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You know what your struggle is. You know what your greatest trial is. You know what your greatest fear is, what you're trying to just worry away and outlast. I don't know, but you know, and let me tell you something. God knows. And God is with you right there in the middle of it. If you will draw near to him, his word says that he will draw near to you. If you ask for him to strengthen you, he will strengthen you. Not only that, Elijah, he will help you and he will uplift you with his righteous right hand. He will be faithful to you. But you got to stop buying the lie that your problems are bigger than God. They're not. God is bigger than anybody who wants to come at you and betray you. If worst case scenario happened, if everybody in your life turned on you and you still have God, you have all you need. Why are you and I so desperate for people's approval when they could turn on you like that? Yet God will stay faithful to you to the end. Don't compromise, man. Don't compromise. I don't know what it is for you. Don't compromise. You hold on to God. He will uplift you. He will be faithful to you to the very end. I know what you would say, Daniel. It's easy to say from right there. But look, I'm in the same seat with you. When you go out those doors tonight, tomorrow, it's hard. It's difficult. You are not alone. God is with you.